the Rugby World Cup is just a week and a half away. Ireland's 31 Warriors and the coaching staff, including Joe Schmidt, will fly out to Japan tomorrow. It is like Christmas Eve, it's like kind of like the 16th of December here on World and Union Balls of these weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Morris, you pumped? Excited, yeah. 10 days, the countdown is on. Uh, the, the countdown for me is really to the we talk about this off air as well to the Saturday not necessarily the Friday would be great and the fact that Six Nations is here but the the Saturday is the if people haven't seen the Saturday run through fixtures, the Saturday fixtures okay, it's I, what, literally next thing I was going to say <laughs> so that just shows you how excited we are so you've got Japan are playing Russia the first game obviously on Friday night the, yeah, yeah so yeah. That, that's where it'll all kick off but really the I have sa- it here actually yeah so it is. 5.45 on Saturday morning. That's not ideal, but anyway. It's not ideal, but you know what? It's a good... You'll you'll do it earlier in the tournament. You won't do it later in the tournament, <laughs> yeah. right? 5.45, uh, 21st of uh, September, yeah. Saturday morning. Get up nice and early, have a cup of coffee, and watch Australia versus Fiji, which I can't wait for, actually, because it's I glossed over it when I was looking at the other matches, and then I went back and I was like, hold on, this is really exciting this is uh in disarray michael check is uh possibly not in disarray anymore but that was the that was what we were thinking in disarray uh australia team who possibly could be scalped by a really exciting and attacking fiji team now we kind of know they won't be but you'll watch it just in case it's Japan versus South Africa all over again. Yeah, like it's worth remembering Fiji bet France at the end yeah. of 2018 and probably have enough uh, credit, even if it's not necessarily just the way the brand of rugby they play, for that to make uh, it a watchable game and a brilliant curtain raiser for for what is to come. Eight fifteen in the morning. Then after that, you've just about kind of woken up. You probably might go and get like a bowl of cereal or something at this stage um, to watch France versus Argentina. The first match of the 2007 World Cup, you might remember, uh, in Ireland's group as we watched on thinking we could beat both of these, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. Uh, so France versus Argentina, Argentina semi-finalists last time, France in their usual kind of uh, pre-tournament chaos where you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, um, like two, again, two teams that are kind of on a bit of a, a the lull in a sense coming into this, but two teams who can also pull it together for... Uh, for a World Cup. Exactly, which is unusual for Argentina, actually, in a World Cup. And then, right, so you've had your coffee for 5.45, you've had your cereal for 8.15, and then for 10.45, that few minutes in between, you go and get the fry on. You know, you get a proper fry, you sit down with your slice of toast, your glass of orange juice, probably another coffee at this stage, it's, it's, it's been a long morning, and you sit down for uh, the second day of the World Cup, New Zealand versus South Africa. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. It's, <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> like, if it, it feels uh, too good to be true. Like, kind of that, how, how could they have planned this out? Saturday, obviously, is the, that's the... From from an Irish perspective, right? You've got the tournament opener on Friday, regardless of how you feel about that. You've got those three incredible games on Saturday, and then Ireland play Scotland on and Sunday. And then our biggest game like in the group it, stage it, it, is straight it, away. It afterwards. couldn't be a better start, really. For it's such a massive. That's your that's the crest of the wave that hits you there, and you'll be in the tournament straight away. It's bang. Like I just remember. I think I watched it with you actually the World Cup opener in, in Russia for football last year was like Saudi Arabia playing Russia it was a real drab game yeah. I was like this is terrible how did Russia get into this again <laughs> 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 so to have a, a curtain raiser like that is uh, I think exactly what we want we obviously have got World Cup fever here, so we haven't even told you what's coming up in the show. <laughs> but we will talk about all of that. We'll talk about uh, Ireland's preparation. We'll talk about their win over Wales and lots of more besides. But also, we've got a really interesting piece that you've done, Morris, with uh, you know former public enemy number one and someone I think people have randomly softened towards in the last year or two in uh, English referee Wayne Barnes. The, the, the man at the heart of many's in Ireland win and many's in Ireland defeat over the years. Yeah, I actually asked him about that. Uh, you'll hear that in a second about the fact that like, Wayne Burns is a guy, right, who even though he might not necessarily be that popular amongst fans, players seem to hold him in pretty high regard, which I think is interesting. And he, uh, he'll say himself that referees are never, their job, there's never going to be popular. Funny enough, talking about jobs, uh, I learned that Wayne Burns is a barrister. As, okay. as well as being a rugby referee and he specialises in bribery and corruption funnily <laughs> enough <laughs> um, that's you, good to know yeah it is you know, beyond reproach <laughs> um, the, you know like I'm sure you noticed yourself from your own experience the, these media events like the nearly more of the kind of revealing things happen 
away from the interview than do it yeah. in it. And uh, he just came across as a very sound fella uh, throughout it, kind of begrudgingly for uh, for a referee, kind of celebrated the fact or it, like was well aware of his reputation in certain places, but also doesn't care. Um, Tommy Bow was there as well, and they did a talk beforehand. So you, you know, I referenced that at, at times as well. And Tommy Bow actually was kind of teasing him about the that fact. And Barnes like was absolutely adamant that if he had his own way, he would be have no influence. But he's literally just there as a as a safety net that he doesn't ever want to exert himself in a game. He just yeah. wants to like, he, and he says over and over again. And this is why this World Cup will be very very interesting because we see these new directives about tackles and things like that that his primary concern is safety of players and after that he doesn't really want to let let the spectacle unfold as we all want it to as well which I think is the way you never want a referee to exert themselves in a, a game I think and I think the best referees actually by the way whether you take like Wayne Barnes and Nigel Owens for example are two very different referees but the reason that I think I, I actually like both of them is because they're at least they're consistent they're consistent and they're, you're, you're not going to have inconsistent pulled ups randomly that mm-hmm. I we see actually we saw last weekend for example um, some really bizarre interpretations of the same infri- what look like the same infringements but at the very at the, at the very least and also the most important thing is just that they're consistent and I yeah. think that's what my Barnes does we all know about the Wayne Barnes breakdown but I suppose that does that the players know about it as well and so do the coaches before the game so yeah consistency is the thing it's funny because you're a refophile as people will know from our GA podcast yeah you know I'm not allowed to give out about refs I'm not allowed to be a sports fan on this show Morris <laughs> you're trying to keep me to this weird journalistic practice instead of just letting me say whatever the hell I want but you are a refophile I am someone that tends to get lost in the moment a little bit and give out about the refs and you know I remember doing like a stats piece on Ireland's performances under Wayne Barnes and you know it didn't didn't go very well like it was unfavorable to ireland's chances. win rate you mean yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah but that was a few years ago but i have to say he's never somebody that i've disliked i always found his manner very uh you know i always found that it's like oh you know what he's a character in this game and it's exactly the opposite of what you're saying he tries to be which is fine but you know in terms of the narrative and the story of a game I always find that Wayne Barnes along with Nigel Owens makes a very good character in the game of rugby you know <laughs> yeah, and, and that actually matters in ref mic era yeah you know it yeah. really does it's part of your viewing experience you know yeah um, so I always thought that for that he's always being like it makes him more front and center, I think, you know, but for as a viewing experience, that's brilliant. But also then when a mistake happens or when, not even a mistake, but a decision that we don't like in a complicated game with complicated rules, he'll always he'll always be a panto villain then as well, you know? Yeah. And from an Irish perspective, I think it's important just to bear in mind, um, we'll play the interview later on, but that he is going to referee Ireland's first game against Scotland. Uh, he's actually the most experienced referee at the World Cup, despite the fact that he's... Uh, still quite young for referee it had been previously reported that he's going to retire for sure after the world cup now as you'll hear he's not so sure about that he hasn't made up his mind either way he might end up the, his explanation was that world cup cycles for a referee not so much for a player but i guess a guy like Roy best it is are times when you take stock and decide then so he's not going to make any decision on whether or not he will retire until after the world cup so um that's just i suppose a point of clarification that he isn't actually retiring for definite we don't know if he is going to retire or not yeah so we'll hear from wayne barnes in a few minutes but um and i'm looking forward to hearing it but there's lots more to get to uh ireland did you know complete our warm-up to the world cup with a nine-point win over wales in the aviva on um saturday like some you know, I think a class occasion with Rory Best and Joe Schmidt's goodbye to Dublin and lots of other things. But in terms of a perform, in terms of result, I think it's important not to take it too seriously. We never do with warm up games, even the fifty point hammering in Twickenham. You know, it wasn't really about the result as such. There were some other problems in there. But warm up games do not matter. Very important to know. Ireland being number one in the world, it's a nice thing to have. It's a nice thing to have on the resume. Nobody on that plane tomorrow, um, from coaches to players, are going to be in any way worried about it. They know that it's not a real figure based on what's happened in the Six Nations, based on what happened at Twickenham a few weeks ago. But what is important to me is that the thing I was most worried about from the Twickenham performance, rather than any of the specifics that we'll get into, uh, you know, that we talked about at the time from, you know, like our poor line speed or our lack of fitness or whatever it was that we were doing, was my fear was that what would translate come the Scotland game, which was four or five weeks later at the time, was that this team's confidence is gone yeah. and absolutely shot. And even last week when they beat Wales, 
I felt there was a bit of a second half collapse that was indicative of a team that you know had come out all guns blazing out blazing and when things went wrong they collapsed into themselves you know we can't do anything right you know you've seen it in sports teams over the years and I think what Saturday proved beyond the shadow of a doubt is that that's not the case this team is ready to go they believe in themselves and they are just warming up nicely and are getting to match fitness and I think that's all you can say you can look at things that were better like line speed for example which was a lot better especially in the first half you know but you can't say on one hand warm-ups don't matter and two say here are all the things Ireland did well for me the confidence is just the key thing I, f- I feel confident in their confidence going for the Scotland game now yeah um, for me the key thing I think is that um, Ireland are now the rugby overlords and <laughs> the number one team in the world undisputed undefeated yeah, without uh, doubt, yeah. um, bow before <laughs> us <yeah>. ignore <laughs> look, everything I just said New Zealand um, look like the I, I've maintained all the way throughout I think that the England game was down to I think all the stuff was down to fatigue it was interesting Donald Lennon did the commentary for this game on, mm. on RT I listened back to it and just said in passing that he spoke to a current player who told him their, their that preseason camp that they did that we talked about we saw the players hammering away in gyms and 200 metre runs and all this kind of thing that uh, one player told Donald Lennon it was the worst nine days of his life so I can only imagine the, the what they were playing before. England at yeah, full pelt after that yeah <laughs> Um, so like, like I, I've always said that I think the there was so many clear indicators that that was where it is the stuff that like there was a gradual escalation that we saw against Wales which is encouraging just the fact that there are something as basic as I, I go back to the line a lot and I just think that Ireland can be so creative in a line that to hold that in reserve in Twickenham seem bizarre like they, they don't you don't, you know, descend that quickly to that level. And just to see Conor Murray back at the front of a lineup fixing a, a lifter, so mm. that really simple stuff that they clearly took this game slightly more seriously. And then you have the psychological stuff that you mentioned there, which, I mean, I is probably the biggest issue for Ireland, to be honest, because there is a, like, there's a shadow that haunts this team going into World Cups from 2007, I think. is I, I wrote an article at the weekend about this that I think, since then they haven't been able to escape that history that shadow continues to haunt them and until there's, they finally get it past the quarterfinal that all these thoughts are going to swirl in your head I don't think you can underestimate how big the psychological factor is for the team so the fact that there, it feels like there's a bit more positivity around and there's a lovely send off for uh, Roy Best and Joe Schmidt is a good thing it's a good thing to get that sort of like positive energy and and to bid them farewell I guess yeah one of the talking points that or one of the things that jumped out for me I suppose was the performance the first time we've seen him this season of Robbie Henshaw so Keith Earls was there he gave us all a fright for a few minutes you know but it seems like everything's okay he wasn't going to play on much longer anyway uh, so he, he you know he, he'll probably get back up to speed over the next kind of 10 days Johnny Sexton looked himself I would say the the you know weird intercept pass I think uh, notwithstanding but you know, I think uh, I think we could be happy enough with them. But Henshaw really stood out to me. And it's funny because Brian O'Driscoll was... Um, we were at an event that he was doing for Guinness yesterday. And people will see it on Balls. So he had a, um, had a take that Aki and Henshaw now are really the first choice centre partnership. And that Ringrose is definitely looking over his shoulder. Uh, it was interesting to me because like you always hear like Ringrose is almost a rugby player's rugby player as well. He's the kind of seen as the guy who's yeah. going to take that mantle. And I haven't heard people say that you know he's not a certainty anymore. But I suppose none of these three guys are certainties because we're just it's two positions that we're just overloaded in, and you know it's so rare that the three of them are fit together. I have um, a hesitant hot take on this that uh, I'm going to throw out now. A lukewarm then- take. A lukewarm take, yeah. Um, well, it's actually, it's a steamy hot take, but I'm not necessarily that, <laughs> I, I'm not all on board with it. It's Go just, on, so, It's yeah. just a theory. I'll judge uh, it. So, I, if you look at the way that Schmidt has developed players, um, the first thing, starting point for this is, he picked four centres in a World Cup squad. There is no need for four centres. There is no. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Um, not but, when they can't play any other position. Dot, dot, dot. Exactly. So... Then you go back and you look at 2015 when Guy Ringo's broke onto the scene and was stunning and there was, I went through the archives and a lot of really positive uh, stories at the time. That season he played as, as more as 14 than he did as 13. He was on the wing against Glasgow. 
um, and had an absolute stormer. I watched it back. That game's actually on YouTube, by the way. Um, he got man of the match. This is October um, 2015 when finally people are like, wow, this kid is, this kid looks like he could be special. Uh, he played in the wing that day. Um, was taken off for Dave Kearney, but was was a sensation that day. Now you see the development of somebody like CJ Stander who first broke through as a six, then went to eight. Now you've seen the, versatility, the benefit of versatility that he shifts back across to six. Suddenly he's able to create the mismatches that he was thrived on. You, the number one example is him steaming down on top of Patchell. Um, that, that's exactly what he w- did so well when he first burst onto the scene. That's what you wanted to do. He got some versatility there. Andrew Porter playing on both sides of the which is an incredible thing to do but scrummaging on in both sides in the modern sides. era it's insane uh, yeah. scrummaging on both sides a week within two weeks again that's something that Schmidt clearly prioritises something that he's tried to develop there in 2015 Ian Manigan was tried out as a scrum half tried out the, we're told Joey Carberry is going to cover a scrum half so versatility is clearly a big thing and I think that if there is a scenario this is my prediction right not not necessarily this is just a, a theory if there's a scenario that in a World Cup quarterfinal uh, Ireland are missing one of Keith Arrows or Jacob Scocktail. Guy Ringo's will start on the wing. That's where he'll play. He's the and, next choice. Yeah, and the centres, that's why you've got three quality centres in Far- uh, Henshaw, who hasn't had a great injury record, but when he looked back to his best like he did at the weekend, is stunning. has got a really good understanding with Pundiaki, which was always apparent when they're at Scon- Connacht as well, by the way. Yeah. They seem to just understand each other's movements really, really well. And there's a kind of a synergy there. Something that Joe Schmidt referenced after the game as well, by the way. So in that scenario, I think the people have talked a lot about, oh, he's talked about Guy Ringo's in cover 10 or Guy Ringo's in cover fullback. The place, position that he's played most other than 13 is on the wing. And I think that's a, a live option. That in a, If Ireland's playing South Africa in a quarterfinal and the scenario where Keith Harris is injured, Guy Ring, we'll see Guy Ringo's at uh, 14. My, that's the way I'd lean towards right now. Like, you know, the remember he comes on and he makes two tackles within 10 seconds, that, that read. That defensive instinct... That, that is you're not born with that that's honed from a, for a winger's perspective now he does shoot out of the line quite often as a 13 but when you close up as a winger as we've seen with James Scottdale the gamble is way higher and he understood it and he bred it perfectly and subsequent to that he caught within a couple of minutes he caught a kickoff and again understood when to hold his width as a winger and when he could, when he's allowed to come in field and to go foraging and try and receive uh, pass back inside like that stuff doesn't Guy Ringers, who's played centre primarily for the last eighteen months, doesn't know that. In, like in, that's being coached. That has it has to be because you don't just know that instinctively as a, as a thirteen. Yeah. That stuff is being coached, and if it is being coached, that means that somebody somewhere sees Guy Ringers as a live option plays a winger. Uh, you mentioned Standard there, who was a point that I was going to make, but two players that come off the bench that I think are really making a run at the moment. I don't think Keane Healy's uh, starting position is under threat or anything like that, but you're, Dave Kilcoyne, the form he's been in over the last few months, and even especially in the warm-ups, um, looks like someone who's like, you know, you're almost looking at Healy maybe giving it everything for 50 minutes, knowing full well that this guy can come in and run amok for the last half an hour of a game now, you know, which even should improve Healy's performance as well, if you look at it that way. Uh, that's brilliant to see. And I have to say, Reese Ruddock... We talked about this months ago when we looked at the squad first, about someone who could just kind of gradually sort of rise through the ranks as someone who could make an impact, in the, first of all, make the squad and now make an impact in the World Cup. He just, I just think he always looks so at home just in a Joe Schmidt always, back row, yeah. doesn't he? Like, yeah. as in, he, he just suits, I think, the coach, the style of play, everything about it. And I thought he was brilliant, actually, um, at the weekend. And I just, I don't know, I'm just starting to think that he might, we still don't know the makeup of the back row. It is the most, it is without a doubt the most uh, unclear of the starting positions, the starting lines in the field of for what's going to happen in the Scotland game. And we, I think the only thing we're absolutely certain of is that Peter O'Matney is going to start at either six or seven. I don't think we know for sure in any of the rest of them. And Ruddock is definitely putting his hand up to at least be considered there. Yeah, like the, any time the, the starting team have been at their best, it's been when, um, the pack has been more abrasive than what they're up against and Roy, uh, Roy always delivers that uh, like the hit he had on Adam and Jones was just phenomenal like he drove him back yards and he uh, he just has this incredible ability to always deliver and it's it's quite admirable actually and uh, yeah I absolutely think he's he's firmly in contention for like don't forget he started he captained Ireland when they bet South Africa in, in Dublin as well so he, yeah. he has to be in that conversation the last point I want to make on the match if you don't have any more and um is that 
people will have seen that Dan Bigger went in for the at the second interception I was talking about a second the ago. The wonderful sportsmanship, yeah. The wonderful sportsmanship. We go, sir, sir, it wasn't a try, sir. You know, right? Everybody's looking at that. I said immediately, I said, there's something up there. He doesn't want that to go to the TMO. There must be a penalty in there. There must be something, right? And I didn't even, it, it's like, it, it all happened too quick in my head to realize that it just came from an interception so that it wasn't, you know, it, 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 it was obviously going to be that but i just said he he doesn't want that to go to tmo for whatever reason forgot about it and johnny sexton was uh on off the ball yesterday i believe and he said exactly that he said that that he in no way was giving up the chance of a try he was in no way saying oh we can skip the tmo part sir it wasn't the it wasn't the try he didn't want them to go back ireland would have a penalty a scorable penalty as opposed to uh, wales would have a five meter scrum and Johnny Sexton, I love this idea of him just chasing around the referee who says, Thank you, Dan, and runs back to the and runs back to call the five meter scrum. And he Johnny running around eyes. like a loon thing He's fooling you. He's fooling you <laughs> <laughs> Which is possibly one of the most Johnny Sexton things ever. And also, like he is, you know, trying to make up for his mistake. Like offside or not, I still think that was a very loose play by by Sexton yeah, that was- you know, again you can't judge in a warm-up game because he's probably just trying something he wouldn't try otherwise, you know? Yeah, it was like a... Uh, uh, what's the opposite? A uh, look pass that was telegraphed. Like, it wasn't a no-look pass because he kind yeah. of just shipped it out, looked, saw, and then... Here we go. I'm yeah. doing this, lads. <laughs> yeah. Go intercept. It's just so funny that Bigger, like, would think that quickly, you know, if he did, if he was offside. Just go, no, sir, no try. Give us the five-minute scrum. We might get one in a minute. <laughs> so, Maris, you've been watching all of the uh, warm-up matches um not just the ireland games unlike most of the rest of us and have been looking for kind of like trends and different things to see kind of what sort of a world cup we have so i'm you know ever the optimist i'm sure we're gonna have nothing but running attacking champagne rugby for the next uh two months yeah so uh, like to, to go back to that last world cup uh this is the thing that so i'm coming up with a lot of theories today this is the thing <laughs> that after the 2015 world cup the prevailing narrative was that all the particularly Northern Hemisphere teams have to become more uh, attacking. They have to become run the ball more. They have to be way more adept, score more tries. None like of them that. made the semifinals like, in 2015, yeah. just to remind people who, who and might have missed ev- the, I remember the, for some reason there was this obsession which you have to score three tries per game. Three tries is the figure you need per game. You have to be able to run the ball. You have to run clever combinations, rely on your skill set, all this kind of thing. And in actuality, over the last two years, the opposite has happened. You've had teams really prioritize, and we talked about this before, their fixation on defensive work has been incredible. Like you've seen 14 men into a wall coming up at breakneck speeds. You look at a team like England, um, Wales for another example like that. All of this like real heavy emphasis on your defenses and what that does. So I'm interested in what happens in response to that. Right? It's so hard to find space to run around 14 men who are drilled to come up and up and up so quickly over and over again. And like say for example, it was I thought it was interesting that Warren Gatlin decided to criticise Ireland's attack shape after the game at the weekend. See, but for those who didn't see it, Gatlin uh, suggested that had their defence been quicker and they Ireland just play off nine Bundyaki up 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 the jumper type stuff. Yeah. Um. And like Warren I, ball. What? Yeah. So coming <laughs> from his own game. like it's interesting though. Like Wales have had a sensational like that's not to think about it. They've had a sensational twelve months. Ireland's probably have the 2019 hasn't been as interesting, but. Who do you think has averaged more tries in 2019? I presume you're going to say Ireland, but I would have said Wales. So Ireland, you, Ireland, uh, have, have a, Ireland have averaged three tries per game. Wales have averaged 1.9, which is like kind of obscenely low. I can't really under, get Considering over Considering they won almost every game and except before this summer. Best Australia, South Africa won the Grand Slam. I just find it really interesting that they're, the trend for 2019, they're on 1.9 tries average a game. They've also got way less passes. They've got 134 passes. This is, again, we're going back to averages per games. But they have way more. What do you think they're leading way ahead of Ireland? There's one category. Where do you think that is? Tackles. Tackles, exactly. Tackles, they have 154 tackles, which is, again, that's pretty stark. That's a huge demand on their players, but that's what they do well defensively. So what happens in response to that, and especially in a country like Japan where it's so humid and hot, I think is we're going to see way more kick in rugby. So you see a guy like Joe Schmidt come out and he says, 
Um, so because Conor Murray actually was asked about the box, like, have they gone away from the the box kicking? And his response was, "This is from the Irish Examiner, by the way." Um, I don't think we're going away from it. That's been a strength of ours for a long time. When we need to use it, we definitely will. Right? That's what Conor Murray said. You saw Joe Schmidt asked, why did you pick Luke McGrath over Kieran Mannion? What was your understanding behind that? The first thing he said, the first thing he said was Luke McGrath's kicking. And he has said repeatedly, I remember he did an interview with the, he did a one-on-one with the Irish Times and he was asked about his reign. You know, he's, this, he was saying farewell to mm-hmm. Ireland and any lingering moments. And he went back to 2017. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, Kieran Mannion started, they bet, England were on the cusp of a Grand Slam Ireland bet them in 2017 and Kim started but Luke McGrath came on and Luke McGrath chipped the ball kicked a kick back into the corner over the top pinged England back and Joe Schmidt that was one of the loudest cheers I've ever heard in the Aviva Stadium by the way that that moment because that was it was sort of done then but go on and, well Joe Schmidt it's funny you, you yeah. remembered it as well because Joe Schmidt yeah. cited that as one of the standouts in his reign that kick that kick so you see that's the way the game is going I think when you see these offences the way teams are going to progress up the field is by kicking like it's funny I watched the New Zealand's Tonga game was just interesting like it was a complete washout and New Zealand were so much better than them but the Ben Smith's so New Zealand's second try his, his first try if people just watch that back Tonga came dangerously close to scoring a try the closest they came for about an hour so after 20 minutes score 7-0 and Tonga are pinged back inside their own 22 and decide to box kick the ball and get a really good chase and get a good jackal and win it back and kick again and win it back again by turning them over in the inside New Zealand's 10 and suddenly they're pounding away almost in New Zealand's 22 and it was it just illustrated to me so clearly that this was a team who couldn't they could not move like they could they could get no attacking shape they were being swarmed every single time and with, within two kicks they're up and would they dangerously close to try against New Zealand that's Tonga right you've got South Africa who played Japan at the weekend South Africa I think the final score was forty one seven South Africa kicked the ball thirty three times in that game and if they scored over forty points and they kicked the ball thirty three times if you Willie Larue if you watch what Willie Larue is doing kicking from the base like it's it's so obvious the way they're going to play rugby they don't want to have possession they want the exact same thing kick ping back turn over and then we'll launch our attacks from there but it's all based off getting out of there from there within you know from within twenty twos. They don't really want possession. They want to ping teams back and play rugby that way. That's where it's going. It was interesting. Charlie Boring m- to watch. It, potentially, yeah. I mean, that is a that a might worry. be a concern yeah. for the for the World Cup. George Ford talked about um this. Charlie Morgan had this as well. This is a George Ford uh, Ford quote. So they went to Treviso. If people, I mentioned this on last week's podcast. Rising Suns English rugby documentary. Very very interesting. It's up all up on YouTube. One part of it, you can hear Eddie Jones' outlines. They studied the climate that they're going to face in Japan, and they found two places with the exact same climate in terms of the temperature and humidity. One was Treviso, the other was Turkey. They went to Treviso for their preseason training camp. This is a quote by George Ford. The thing we noticed most in Treviso was how the humidity affected the sweatiness and greasiness of the ball. It was like playing in wet weather sometimes. And sometimes, in wet weather, you were better off without the ball. That's what George Ford said. I actually know... I understand that the Irish squad have played with a wet ball in training as well. That's something that they've been doing a lot of. That that's trying to replicate that that loose ball. That's trying to replicate those conditions that they will face in in Japan. All of this is pointing towards a kick oriented game, and that's why I think this World Cup. That's the the prevailing narrative is that players Conor Murray it did not kick a ball until suddenly they were trying to chase down the Wales. Wales actually had a, a, a decent fight back. You saw this in the second half. What did Murray do when Ireland finally looked to grind it down? They came really close to going to try. Were held up in the line. Finally, James Ryan gets over. They're trying to see this out. Uh, Rizal had a good chance as well. Just could not get over the line. And were like seen really keen to get a try. First thing Conor Murray does: box kick the ball. Mm. Going back to his box kick, something they hadn't done for two games before that. Um, George Smith referenced it as well. I think that's the way the game is going to go back to that. You're going to see a huge amount of kicking off nine, ten. If in the case of New Zealand. Barrett at fullback gives him that second playmaker option you've seen Rob Carney's hand in as a second playmaker now Rob Carney's hands are decent but he's well able to kick a ball and that's where I think I think that's where that it'll be such a prevailing team come the World Cup now we'll see over the next month whether or not I'm right but that from from the way the game's going from the evidence I've seen so far that's what we're going to see well that's pretty grim thanks for that <laughs> <laughs> now do you know what though I'll, I'll be able to watch it with fascination now because of your prediction so it's like I won't be grimmed out and bored by the whole thing but um, anyway I think it's time we got to our interview with the only final thing I'll really yeah. quick briefly I'll say on that is that 
I, in an ideal scenario, that would encourage teams to leave an extra man or maybe two extra men in the backfield. And in so, if you're going to see trying to find space and find there's only one man, eventually the best kicking teams will be able to exploit that. If they can exploit that, you see teams drop one or two back. It'll have to be counted, space. of course. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. In, in an ideal scenario, that's what you would see. There we go. We're going on more positive note into our, our Wayne Barnes interview. Um, you were speaking to him last Friday at the Marion Hotel. Yeah, so I spoke to Wayne Barnes with um, Fly Emirates, had him in town for basically the, our chat starts off with talking about that relationship, his perception amongst fans and also with players, and we'll get into some technical stuff as well. I have a couple of technical questions that I might get into. Yeah, in a second, of course. But just to start with, um, we're in Ireland obviously today, and I understand you've got a, quite a good relationship with Irish Bears. I read an interview last year where I think it was Sonic Ryan and Ty Furlong got you in some beers after the Champions Cup final. Uh, that was pretty special. So I refereed the Leinster versus Rassen game, um, the final over in um, in Bilbao in 20, 2018 now, wasn't it? And. Um, game finished and we're in my my changing room and my team of officials just sitting there um I'm having a bit of a debrief and all of a sudden there's a there's a knock on the door uh, 10 minutes after the game well, yep come in wonder who it was never quite sure who's going to be knocking on your door after a match and uh, and Donico was there you know the Racing um, playing for Racing at the moment um, came in said Barnsley well done congratulations on a game you know they just lost um have got a couple of beers so sitting there having a beer Donica joins us sits there and you catch up um, all of a sudden there's another bang on your door oh, who's this this time all of a sudden Tyg Furlong puts his head through he said oh what are you doing in here he said oh I brought the boys a beer yeah so have I so it was quite nice seeing at the end of the match you got Donica in his racing kit Tyg in his um, Leinster kit and the referee sitting in there kit having a beer in the referee's change room we stayed there for a decent amount of time and finished off uh, some of the sponsors products <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, Tommy was slagging you about your reputation amongst certain fans and stuff like that but it must be nice to know that I remember I was at a press conference last year where Peter Matney was also quite complimentary as well that whatever about amongst uh, fans that players seem to hold you in high regard yeah, um, my job is never going to make me popular. You know, I'm a referee. Um, I'm, if I, I was I'm here to be popular, I probably wouldn't be doing this job. All I've ever wanted to do um, is to, to give the players the best chance of performing. Um, and also, if you're respected then by your peers, your fellow referees and by the players, you've probably done a, a decent job. And so to hear, you know, stories like that and also to get people like, you know, who admire, you know, fantastic players in Donica and Tide coming into your change room post-match to say thanks, you've done a decent job. Um, and that's all I've ever wanted. Um, I don't want to be a pin-up boy. I don't want to be unpopular. Um, and so, um, you know, when I hear stories like Peter saying things like that, you know, it means I'm doing a, an all right job. Obviously, your job, I suppose, is generally to facilitate rugby. But certain times, I'm just thinking of the the example of 2007 and the Bayern game. Do you find yourself needing to exert yourself to just purely protect players? Um, you know, one of the referees' job is to you know to make sure that players are protected, players are safe. Um, that's the reason why you know World Rugby has had a big push around protecting players' heads and said you know we're going to be more stringent on high tackles because it's not because referees want to send players off or yellow card players. It's because we're saying you've got to change your tackle technique to protect players' heads. One of my jobs, you know, during a game um, is obviously the safety of players. And so if a player does something stupid and he you know kicks someone in the head or he punches someone, my job's really straight. For. It's not me who's punched someone or kicked someone. All I do is just you know deal with the results, and the result is you can't kick someone in the head. Um, so I'm going to send you off. So that 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 is one of my my key jobs. Um, my my other my other job in life is is as a lawyer, as, as, as you know. Um, and I do some mediation as well. And um, you, know, you think about mediation and rugby. There's, there's some similarities. You know, you go in there, you have got two parties who want totally different things. You know, one wants to win, the other wants to win. Um, if as a referee or as a mediator, you can come away neither are going to like you a lot because they haven't got everything their own way but if they both think that they've got had a decent fair crack um, then you've probably done you, your job pretty well and you know the, the, the crossover between the two roles is exactly that and that's you know as a referee if I can go in and just make sure that both teams feel that they've been treated fairly um, then you know I've probably done an alright job I know you mentioned the, the head high uh, directives and we might talk about that in a second but it does strike me that the, the recent controversy and I was wondering what you think of this has been driven by I think inaccurate commentary so you got an example say for when New Zealand played Australia and immediately it was a perfect timing for a, kind of a horrible storm in that it happened 
just before half time for the red card but immediately the discourse was about the referee it wasn't about World Rugby's directive like that must surely frustrate you that you're purely your job is to implement rules that are being, already exist and yet you've got certain commentators focusing on, on the referee and their, their tendencies yes, that's not, not a concern my, my job as you said is to um, implement the rules which we're being asked to by World Rugby but also you know, by coaches and by players you know, World Rugby don't just make decisions on their own there's working groups which are behind a lot of these um, decisions so um, we get together with the coaches and the players quite often as a group of referees and we say right, h- how do we want the game to look how do we want the game to be, be refereed um, and so it's not the referee saying this is how the game will be refereed um, and like it or lump it it's us saying right okay this is what we've agreed we'll go and implement it um, you know, I don't listen to social media um, you know, it would drive me mad if I did um, so all I can do is Tap, you know, try and be as consistent as I can during a game so the players know what's what's expected of them and then they know at the moment if they're standing upright and they don't grasp and they hit someone in the head they're going to be probably sent off if it goes slightly wrong we're not going to send players off just for the sake of send, sending players off but if a player is dipping into a tackle or a player's slipped or a player steps inside and there's a reactionary tackle it's not the ones we want to get we want to get the you know the really dangerous foul play where players aren't trying to wrap they're trying to hit players really high and it goes slightly wrong and they hit them in the head so you know everyone will have their opinion and that's what you know we love about rugby is you know there are so many grey areas of it but um, what we're trying to do is just make sure we protect back to your safety point protect the player as much as we can it must be striking or it must be encouraging for you I know it certainly is from our perspective that I just heard you say players have been positive when you've been dealing with them about these directives that regardless of that commentary which we'll move on from now the, the players themselves embrace this well, I, remember this isn't something new what we've been saying we're going to go after this high tackle in the last week or last month you know, during the last six nations we, we had this um, we said look we're going to protect the, the ball carrier we don't want him being hit high um, there weren't any red cards in the Six Nations you know there's one yellow card for foul play in the whole of the Six Nations so you know the, the players are getting the message you know and that's why um, all of the international referees go in with their home unions to help you know prepare them and to explain the, the rules and uh, make sure that, that they're, they're aligned to what you know the coaches and our, our bosses are asking us to do um, so yeah I, I think there has been a, you know, a positive reaction from that and we, players have shown that they can alter their tackle technique it, it does strike me uh, kind of moving on from that that the tackle directors have all been reactive to injuries that were coming but you still have a problematic area in, in my own opinion in, in the rook which I think there is a chance to be a bit more proactive in that scenario particularly in circumstances around a, a jackal for example just I, I, in your own perspective before we move into that what for you is the ideal scenario if the jackal is involved so like what would you like to see oh, I think we all want to see um you know, good technique rewarded. So first of all, you know, anyone who's lying around the ball, um, once they've made a tackle, should be get out there because we want to provide quick ball for attacking teams. But if an, an attacker gets isolated or if a defender does a really good job and gets over over the ball, he's got his feet underneath him, he's supporting his body weight, he should be given the opportunity to contest for that. So that's a kind of the um, the, the picture um, that we want to see. You know, currently there's a there's a working group being set up post World Cup to see um, you know if there are issues around the jackler and how you move him and you know and crocodile rolls and neck rolls all things that you know we all have concern about for player safety so you know this is an, an evolving area which it's evolved over the last five years to, to where we are now but what we want to see we want we want to remember it is a contest game you know and so good defense should be rewarded but only rewarded once you know all the, the p- potential misdemeanors have, have got out the way and it strikes me as well that the, uh, most of the injuries in that, that Jack scenario is actually on the, the clearance side of it like Ireland fans will be particularly sore about uh, Paul O'Connell who was blown out of it in the last World Cup actually in 2015 when he was down over a ball and again it was he was exposed his hamstring exposed and your player coming uh, potentially off his feet and driving into that scenario like that must be a, a concern for you to see that those sorts of injuries have continued to increase we've seen players like Dan Levy is another example actually in Ireland who's going to miss this World Cup from a very similar scenario yeah and I think that's a reason why Royal Rugby are looking at this you know we 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 want to protect players you know and players are exposed you know they've, they've got long backs they've got their, their arms on the floor and then they're being cleared out you know um, legitimately often you know and that's when the injuries, um, injuries take place you want to make sure that the foul play is taken at it and so when players do clear out they are attempting to wrap they are um, coming in through through um, the, the right channel uh, through the gate um, but all 
even when that happens there are still injuries so we've got to make sure that players um, are as safe as they can be on the pitch and this is why World Rugby are looking into this aspect now Finally just looking ahead to the World Cup from, from your own perspective I know this is going to be your last World Cup and you're actually the most experienced referee in World Cup 15 games I think I, I want to check it today is this an emotional time for you? Are you I imagine you're obviously excited but at the same time that, that kind of pang of what you're going to miss afterwards yeah, I'm not 100% sure if I'm retiring um, after the World Cup we'll make that decision at the end of the World Cup all I'm um, trying to focus on at the moment is the first game in Yokohama between um, <laughs> Ireland and Scotland at the end of the World Cup um, I'll sit down with my family and we'll have a chat about what next for us as a family I've got two young children I've got a wife who's very successful in her, um, in her own right um, and we'll say right what's next for us it's a four year cycle every World Cup and we'll see what the next four years have in store every World Cup though you know brings emotion and uh, special memories and this will be no different whether this is my last or if there's another one or two to go um, you know I'm only 40 um, Nigel Owens who's refereeing at this World Cup also is the f- same as me our fourth World Cup is 48 so I could who knows I could still be could still be going in 2027 so Wayne Barnes was speaking at the World Cup preview with Emirates. Uh, Emirates first sponsored the Rugby World Cup in 2007 in France, then became a worldwide partner for Rugby World Cup 2011-2015, and now the tournament in Japan in 2019. An interesting guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I like I was saying at the top of the show. I'm just someone that uh, I am. I warm to every time I hear him, especially off the pitch. But kind of like him on the field as well, even though I'm always kind of giving out about his decisions and <laughs> I'm scared when he has Ireland matches. But now that he's been over and he's been doing press here, there's no way he'll screw us against Scotland. Now that now that we've declared our love for him, surely, yes, yeah, so surely, Morris. I, I just learned as well. He was also the referee in the the infamous 2007 Bayonne game. Yeah, uh, the where Brian Driscoll only had his World Cup end before it started and um, had some if you go up on site you'll read a piece about his quotes about that some pretty interesting stuff about trying to deal with uh, an irate Eddie O'Sullivan and um, what went on that day yeah my favourite quote from that was here you were the one who worked on it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that wrong either <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely uh, so look we've got a couple of things to talk about before we go um, we'll obviously be back next Wednesday with or next Tuesday with like a pretty big uh, look ahead to you know we'll be literally a couple of days away at that stage we'll probably know have a fair idea what the Ireland team is going to be chances are by then and we'll have lots more in-depth look at the actual game itself against Scotland but a few more things before we get to that um you mentioned New Zealand and Tonga earlier like it's one of those atrocious things that like I don't think anybody needs to be seeing a team getting 90 points hit past them but uh there was some interesting comments from Steve Hansen after the game about he mentioned the Six Nations team specifically holding back the the Tier 2 and Tier 3 nations, which, you know, there's a part of that that's just ludicrous, that, like, it's hard to take a man seriously when he doesn't, he refuses to look in the mirror and wants to cast blame elsewhere. Now, New Zealand are, are probably the furthest of all teams away from blame on, or furthest of all teams that you cannot blame for something like this. But taking that out and taking the kind of, like, uh, pot kettle black element out of it it's actually important that more you know top level people are talking about this because that's fair yeah behind it all it is a, there's a really really good point there yeah that's fair so ju- like those quotes actually just he, he was talking about the global game this was before they played Tonga and he said um, we have these wonderful ideas about growing the game but we don't have an organisation at the top that wants to be strong enough to say right this is what we're doing we're going to have a global season the Six Nations rule uh, Six Nations r- rule world test rugby programmes they don't want to give that up and until they're prepared to give that up we're not going to see any progress in that area now <laughs> Like, there's two things. In a sense, he's right, right? The Six Nations have been incredibly reluctant to throw any sort of demonstration to grow the game, and he's right to point at them. And Scotland got a lot of uh, plaudits for going to Georgia to play a Tier 2 nation. Like, that, to my mind, that has to be the norm. Like, there has to be some sort of stipulation that Tier 1 nations should be going to, if there was any sort of genuine interest in, in growing the game. And that will still be a stick that the upcoming World Cup will be beat with. Like, Russia are in for a... Se- Russia got beat by Scott, uh, Connacht, actually, um, last weekend, in a, a game that I th- think that there will be... It, it demonstrated a lot to me that they're in for a seriously hard World Cup, mm. to my mind. And that's still always the criticism that... We always get this 18 tournament, not really a world game. They'll all be worthwhile until this situation is resolved. So I think he's he has he's fair enough to say that. The other thing, like 
he hinted there about the world rugby season as well about six nations reluctance for the this nations league which is that's disingenuous like that is the nations league was not to address tier two nations we know that because we actually had dan leo on our show yeah and we uh, for anyone who's interested you can go and read his thoughts up on side as well um, I'm not just saying that because I wrote them. He is really, really interesting in what needs to happen in the game and why the Nations League was such a ridiculous idea for what it would do to Tier 2 and Tier 3 nations. So from that perspective, I think Hansen is wrong. But at the same time, like there was other quotes. He talked about how difficult it must be for Tonga to have their players spread out over the world. He actually talked about this idea of retirement strong World Cup. And I think you're dead right to say he does... Like In fairness, it's right that... Uh, what the best rugby nation in the world their coach is highlighting the plight of two or two nations but I, there was elements of it that I think is wrong but I, I mean I, I guess I have to be fair as well and admit his overall point is probably correct yeah his overall yeah like I, I'd agree with that I just think that there, there's, a, there's a part of Hansen and just the New Zealand kind of hierarchy alone that I always just think are talking out both sides of their mouth and will always look after themselves first as everybody will but almost to an extreme in New Zealand you know and they'll take players off these countries and they'll do all of this while criticising others for not doing enough yeah, you know and that, it that grates but i suppose my point is that that's a that's the natural reaction of almost everybody reading this from outside new zealand but actually what we should do is do what you did there and just look a little bit beneath it and say right take the hypocrisy out of it because it's absolutely there and forget about why he's saying it and just remember the fact that this is true and at least it got some coverage and it probably only will when the likes of Steve Hansen are saying it you know and he probably knows the real thing and when he's not with New Zealand after the World Cup you know let's see kind of what he's talking about then because he actually is somebody that can go and actually do something you know and the idea that I understand the Six Nations have this kind of power but the idea that the most important team in rugby or the most important country in rugby don't have some uh, element of power over this is kind of ridiculous as well because where New Zealand go, the world follows, you know, yeah. in, in terms of uh, world rugby. And then the last thing I just want to talk about is a little a little conversation we had in the office that I said we should bring it onto the show. And I know you're going to do a little bit more on it, but there was a picture that went around, went viral on Saturday, I think, of the uh, South African rugby team in, after a gym session looking incredibly ripped to a man almost the 30 men some of them in particular looking like bodybuilders and i think some people had a little bit of fun with it and then me included actually just like a little bit of crack about like you know that they're they're what's the cardio like if this is if yeah. you're shaped basically like a bodybuilder who generally as we know kind of turn up to these events barely able to walk because of how dehydrated they are and you know no more than that i think for most people and then i think as as happens people kind of went into a this is definitive proof of casting dot, 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 which of course it isn't and of course we don't know but um i know you had a look at it and sort of had some thoughts on it yeah so as i, I make mentioned we'll do there'll be a piece up on site with ross tucker um who obviously is way more qualified to speak about this kind of thing than i am but i think even saying that, I don't know if anybody is qualified to speak with this based off a, a picture. Like, th- this this is twofold, and this is why this conversation has to happen on a podcast and will never happen on Twitter, because it's complex, and Twitter doesn't allow for complexity. Like, it, like, it can be both true that you criticize people for their reaction to, a lot of people for their reaction to that photo, and for their casting expressions, and jumping to assumptions based off that, while also admitting that the threat of any sort of performance enhancing in uh, drugs in rugby and what we've seen already in South Africa is a huge concern and something that we need to be conscious of. Like both of those things can be true at the, at the at the same time, you know. Like the I don't think there should ever be a situation where judging based off of picture like that is your definitive absolute evidence of anything, to yeah. be honest. Whether like whether or not they're a good rugby team, whether or not they're the only thing that's definitive proof is in that they're very, very lean and in in great shape. But I just think that the elements of the response to that picture were were bizarre to be honest and too extreme on both sides yeah you would absolutely. Agree, as as is often the case with twitter yeah, you know yeah. as in like you're either on one side or the other you can't have a nuanced thoughtful opinion and like i i'm almost loath to to go into the the kind of the very vague and very not not deep scientific explanation just because of what you said because we shouldn't be judging it by it but i will just say like there there's a very specific thing there that these guys don't look like this after a rugby match yeah they look like a straight after a weightlifting gym session in which they are they're 
their the pump as the pump yeah, exactly as yeah. you, you know as, yeah. as people will know but also a very very low uh, level of um, water in their body exactly from yeah. being post workout you know like it's not like that when they're training for a match or when they're sorry when they're going out to be ready for a match they're going to be hydrated and they're not going to look like that you know so these things can't be taken as look at these rugby players how could they possibly all be all this ripped yeah precisely and i actually you said it spot on perfectly there as well like the the problem with any sort of stuff is just taking an extreme on it either way like it's okay to be um even skeptical it's okay to be on the other side of fence but just in terms of of, uh, um, yeah yeah, but just in terms of what like we'll we'll trash this out with ross we might even play some of it on next week's podcast so do keep an eye on site for for that piece as well but just um extremes are never good like nothing is ever black and white take a breath you know (laughs) i'll give myself that advice as well why not uh right okay as i said next week we're we're really building it up ramping it up next week we will talk a bit a little bit about that and about all the issues going on but our main focus is going to be ireland scotland we'll tell you more about what to look out for with scotland uh so please do join us i hope you're enjoying the show we're back with you every tuesday um basically for the rest of the rugby season i would assume if you uh also like other sports we have some stuff there as well uh balls we have a week football show that went out on monday you can hear that there's interviews exclusive interviews with kevin doyle and gary neville um on this week's show morris you were talking to gary neville i was enjoy yeah. another man who was probably more revealing for what happens away from the interview than at the interview but again a very sound fella really interesting conversation a lot of irish uh, relevant stuff there as well he's obviously involved with, with salford um, we've got three Irish players in their books now as well so that's worth checking out too yeah yeah uh, we've got the build up podcast with Ladbrokes every Thursday morning um, and lots more besides but like for the last time this year I would think I, on this show I will be plugging uh, the Three Man Weave GEA podcast we'll be back with you on Friday looking ahead to the All-Ireland final replay and the All-Ireland ladies final pretty big weekend of uh, Gaelic football all told this weekend and of course on Monday then we'll be back to review both of those games and to sort of say farewell to the Intercounty GEA season i say with a tear i thank god we've got the rugby world cup coming up or else what would we do yeah exactly isn't it like for what a time for sport right now like the <laughs> premier league is back after a boring international break you've got the, <laughs> the football rugby whatever you want really for the next couple of weeks is, is at your fingertips yeah all on balls that that's what i was just about <laughs> to say it's all on if you got the balls that you can get individual ones just search your sport on balls that you can get you can if you only like one sport that's fine if you just like rugby you can listen to all the rugby stuff we'll have Stephen ferris from the build-up we'll have this show we'll have lots more besides if you like all sports balls podcast type it into any of your app give us a rating leave a comment all of those things help but mainly just listen and enjoy we've got something for you almost every day we'll talk to you next tuesday on world and union chat to you then